Now, in recent weeks, we've been looking at the epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, that is a fascinating and an intricate book. Most scholars speak of it being written in a very eloquent way, with a very sophisticated authorship. We don't know who wrote the book. Various people have been suggested, even been suggested that Priscilla wrote it, a female author. The truth is we don't know. Now, we've enjoyed a detailed study over these weeks, but even at a very cursory level, it's obvious that the central theme to the book of Hebrews is the person of Jesus Christ and his role as the mediator between God and humanity. You can't escape that. Begins that way, ends that way, and everything between it is like that. Now, after Sean's concluding study last week, and in preparation for this message, I've read the whole book again in one go. It's great looking at it chapter by chapter. That's good and necessary. But you pick up something else as well if you read the whole thing. That's true of any book in the Bible, but reading some of them in one go is quite a challenge. This book, not. It won't take you long to read the whole book. Half an hour, maybe. Take you the rest of your life to fathom its significance. But it won't take you long to read it. It's almost impossible to pull out a single verse or section. But I have found myself drawn to this. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Hebrew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the New International Version. The words are on the screen as well, if you don't have a Bible to look at. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I found the whole book of Hebrews fascinating. I've enjoyed the studies we've gone into over the recent weeks. But it's that expression there, consider him, that has drawn my attention today. And I want to share with you as a sort of postscript to the study we've done in detail in recent weeks. To consider is an interesting verb. It means more than thinking about something. It means more than just having a look at. If you say you've given somebody your considered opinion, it means you've done a bit more than make a snap judgment. You've analysed, you've investigated, you've evaluated, you've formed a view based on many factors. Consider him, the writer of Hebrews says, who suffered such opposition from sinful men. We can't say we've considered something unless we've put a bit of time and a bit of effort into the process. So why did Jesus endure such opposition? Well, elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, and for that matter throughout the New Testament, it's very clear that Jesus' entire mission on earth was to submit himself to the will of his Father. You don't need to turn to it. Here's something from Hebrews chapter 2 that we looked at early on. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory because he suffered death. We've been singing this in great power this morning. 
so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What an incredible thing. The Son of God, the Eternal One, through whom all things were created, one with the Father, was humbled into human form. Now, I'm an intellectual sort of a guy. I can reason most things out. My wife once served upon me the accolade that I could make conversation with a lamppost, <laughs> to which I suggested she might like to wear green and put a light on her head. And um, the wound stung for several days. <laughs> I can't comprehend this, other than what the text tells me. It was necessary that Jesus did this. We've been examining that in detail, and I'm not going to reiterate all that's been said. But he became less than the angels. He voluntarily accepted a status by being constrained in humanity to live amongst us. So there's no experience you can cite, there's no issue you can confront, there's no foible of human nature that you can tell me about that he cannot empathise with. He knew what it was to live amongst mankind. You could touch him. You could be embraced by him. You could love him, and you could love him in return. He was a complete man. He is in all respects the perfect role model for mankind. If you emulate Jesus, you will not go far wrong. He's also described He's also described as the high priest of a different line. If you look in chapter seven, we're told that the priests, the high priests of old, they came down to Aaron, but Jesus appeared mysteriously from the line of Melchizedek. I'm not going to go into that in details because others have done it before me. And he didn't go repeatedly into an inferior replica on earth in the form of the the temple or whatever. He went into heaven itself. That's what it tells us in that chapter. If you can't bring yourself to read all of Hebrews, not big ask really, read chapter 7. And then when you've done that, read 1 to 6 and then 8 to 13. I defy you not to. He went into heaven itself. The Bible tells us blood has to be shed to achieve this forgiveness. It was temporary in the case of those earlier high priests. It had to be repeated. Jesus shed his own blood, as we've been singing about. So that once and for all, it was done. So, it says also in chapter 7, this remarkable thing. Therefore, I'll read it to you, don't you turn to it. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save completely. I like the way they haven't split the infinitive there. To completely save. It's no, there's no gaps, there's no further work to be done. The bane of my life is when you have something repaired and it's still wrong. I've got too many cars and none of them seem to work properly. When we rebuilt the engine in one of them, we found a ballpoint pen inside it. Fitter pulled it out and said, what's this? I said, I think it's a ballpoint pen. Do you know what? It still worked. <laughs> Been inside the engine for 70,000 miles and it still worked. 
Jesus is able to save completely. If you commit yourself to him, or if having committed yourself to him, you trust in him and don't compromise, you will find your salvation is complete. You will find your relationship is complete. You will find your experience with God has no gaps or holes. You will find he's taken care of everything. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. So the reason Jesus endured this opposition of which I spoke in the first verse was because his high priestly role, once and for all, required it. He had to be the priest and the sacrifice. He had to complete it, because anything less than that would have been inadequate. Once and for all time. Did he have a choice? I've already started off by saying, let's consider this matter. We've got to ask this question, haven't we? Was he chipped to do this? Was he like some space probe that disappears and does its job automatically? The answer is yes. This is a picture that some famous artist has done depicting Jesus in the time of temptation. It's figurative is the language in the Bible, but Jesus was tempted. He could have given in. He was tempted when he was hungry with food. He was tempted with the exercise of power when he could have extricated himself from the situation. You, all of you and me, we are all tempted on a regular basis. It's part of existing in this fallen world. And our response to that situation will reflect the extent to which we've considered Jesus and the extent to which he is preeminent in our thinking and the governance in our attitude and behaviour. I am no perfect specimen. I'm here to exhort you. I'm here to encourage you. I can't say to you, do as I do. Do as Jesus did. That's the better case. We know that he was subject to temptation. We know that his disciples drove him to distraction. How long will I be with you, he once said. They couldn't grasp the simplest things. I often wonder. Jesus' existence would be so much more straightforward without the encumbrance of me on board. But he's made the choice. I didn't. He chose me. And he chose all of you. You didn't earn it. You can respond to the choice he's made by receiving him back, or you can reject him. That's your prerogative. But Jesus was frustrated by his disciples. He might have thought to himself, I'll dispense with these fools, I'll do it all myself. But he knew he had to bestow within them the seed that was going to be the church, which is what we have become today. He trusted fallible men with the infallible truth that was all that he was, knowing that their exercise of it wouldn't be perfect but knowing that in their pursuit of him and his enriching of their experience by the Holy Spirit, they would, with all their fallibility, do the best job they could. Most particularly, he sought not to go through with it all. I've already told you that Jesus was God incarnate in human form. I don't think many of us in this room here would volunteer readily to die. I'm not afraid of death, personally. Inconvenient if it happened right now. But (laughs) after the sermon, maybe. The point is this. I have wired within me an instinct to avoid death. My body will protect itself to the best of its ability. If you freeze me, it will protect my vital components to the best possible extent. 
The body has protection mechanisms. Jesus, as a man, didn't want to die. And more than the fact of that, he didn't want to be separated from his father. Just have a think about that. Consider him, the verse says. Consider the one who for eternity prior had been absolutely integrated and inseparable from his father. Was going to be separated for a short calendar interval. But what would have seemed like eternity itself. Entrusting absolutely to the word of his father that he would be raised again and reunited with him. Don't make light of that. Don't make light of that. They say in some forms of surgery, they stop your heart. And when they've done what to do with it, then they kickstart it back into action. You have to have a fair amount of faith in the surgeons if they're going to do that, don't you? They're basically going to kill you and then bring you back to life again. We trust them because we trust that they're competent and they know what they're doing. And that's a better procedure than enduring what we've had before. Jesus endured all of this. But he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be tormented. He knew he was going to be isolated. He knew he was going to be tortured. He was going to have the flesh torn from his back with a scourge. He knew that amongst those closest to him, he would be denied. He knew he would die a lonely and agonising death. That is a delightful prospect for any to behold, is it not? And we're told in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's possible then let this cup pass from me. And in one of the Gospels it says he sweated drops of blood. Now it's physiologically possible if you're under the most extreme duress for the capillaries near the surface of your skin to break and then blood can come out from your skin. But you have to be in incredible duress for that to happen. I've known a bit of stress in my life. Some of my family members will tell you I've caused a bit as well. But none of us have been moved to sweat blood. He had to confront all of this. Now, we will faithfully reenact these events in the Passion Play of which you heard earlier. At the very least, please make yourself aware of it and support us in that, even if you don't feel able to participate. This is a powerful thing. It's a theatrical reconstruction. But I will play the part, because that's my role, of one of the sinful men from whom Jesus endured opposition. And in this scene, I will exhort the crowd, to crucify him. I have to tell you, that's not easy. Unlike the mystery plays where I was cavorting around as Lucifer and it was a bit of a joke, this is a serious reconstruction. And way back in the midst of time, my ancestors did just this and incited the crowd to condemn Jesus to death. And he endured it, just as the verse in Hebrews says. And he, he irritated his accusers by not challenging their accusations. He endured a cowardly judge who should have acquitted him, but kowtowed to the crowd and condemned him to an unjustified death. And so he was led away. And he hung on a cross, as we have sung so, so poignantly earlier. This is no small thing. The Romans devised dying on a cross as the most brutal method of death imaginable in order to deter future offenders. Even the Romans decided it was too barbaric and stopped it sometime later. 
They didn't think a civilized community like the Romans could do such a thing. And they found a different means of execution. But Jesus... Jesus went through with all of this. And the opening verses which I read to begin with tell us clearly why. Do you remember? For the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Now it's hardly surprising Jesus' perspective was eternal. That's a difficult thing for us as finite beings. But he knew... That if he didn't go through with that, with all the pain and agony and isolation and all the things I've alluded to, our salvation would not be complete. We would be spiritually destitute, condemned to the same partial process as the Jewish forebears who had to go through a compromise process all of the time. God, through Jesus, saw to it that there was a better way for which you cannot earn, you cannot pay. Not one of you, not the best of you can say, you deserve this. That's not me judging you, by the way. Because the fact I'm stood is because I'm speaking, and I'm short, like Carolyn, so if I sit down, I'll be invisible. I have no claim to this. I am a sinful man, and you are sinful men and women. But you have the opportunity, if you choose, to accept what Jesus has done for you. So that your salvation may be complete. (laughs) When I spoke last August, I concluded with a quote from C.S. Lewis from the book Four Loves, where he said, to love is to be vulnerable. Now then, let's consider a bit further this Jesus of whom we've been speaking. He was meek, the Bible tells us, but he wasn't weak. Nothing in his crucifixion was born out of weakness. He made himself vulnerable, but at no stage was he weak. He elected to go through this. Could he not have just disappeared, carried away by angels? He makes the point. But he voluntarily accepted arrest and all that was followed. He was strong. Jesus was immensely strong. But he wasn't domineering. Children loved to be with him. Simple people and those without agendas found his company reassuring. The sick found healing. The humble found grace. Only the arrogant, only the willful, only those with an agenda against him found his company difficult. He could blend power with vulnerability in a way that's completely alien to the human spirit. I listen to the news, I keep aware of current affairs, and it's a depressing business. Isn't it just... Somebody's been condemned this week who's killed three men and said it could have been worse, I could have been fat. That's horrific. Depraved. Horrific. (laughs) Our human hearts, sorry for those of you on the tape who just had to endure me blowing my nose. And it's that or dribbling on the notes, which is not a good spectacle for the congregation. Jesus could blend this power and vulnerability in perfect harmony because he and his father were one. I've already described him as the high priest. In John 17, you read the high priestly prayer, which embedded within it is the plea from Jesus to his father that they may be one as we are one. Incredible. Read John 17 when you've finished with the book of Hebrews. 
our response, therefore, in considering Jesus should be to emulate, I think, his vulnerability towards his father and then become one as we grow in trust of each other. There's a humorous entry on the church Facebook page from David Miller, no less, concerning advice amongst demons as to how to ferment unrest in the church. It's worth a look. There's an observation in there that confession of sin causes their campaigns to implode like nothing else. This is Scargoyle speaking. What a true observation. If we harbour our sin, if we harbour what we are, if we close ourselves up like a fan and present the image that we want to see, then sin can fester inside there unknown. There is no imperative on us, be clear about this, indiscriminately to pour out the details of our lives. There's nothing in the Bible that requires us to do that. It would not be a helpful process. But there is very great merit if the extent of our vulnerability before God allows us to trust those close to us with the things that trouble us and we find ourselves reassured by their acceptance. Put another way, don't allow yourself to be isolated. If there are issues that trouble you, be they big or be they small, find somebody with, in whom you can trust and share it. The likelihood is you will find they too have things to share. There is something wonderfully enriching when two people are candid with one another within the grace of God and the honesty and the candor that that brings. And they keep those things to themselves. But if I share my vulnerabilities before God with you and trust you with that information, now the devil has to attack two of us. And that's tougher. That's why his strategies implode if we're real with one another. So, how can, we become, how can we become vulnerable towards God? It's not for nothing that Jesus said, if a man would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Famous words. Oops. I'll leave that up. He must take up his cross and follow me. So much the same way as he laid down everything for us, we should seek to lay down our lives for him. I want to share with you a little piece of my own experience. I've probably shared it in part or in full before. I won't dwell greatly on it. I became a Christian in 1977. And during the course of that summer, I made the transition from knowing about God to becoming acquainted with him. I'd been brought up in a Christian home. I went to church. I went to Bible class. It was, by all accounts, a bit of a piss in those Bible classes. I'm so glad God persevered with me. And in that summer, he, he allowed me to become introduced to him. And I entered into a relationship where I knew him as my father and realized that he already knew me as his son. There are some of you here this morning who need to make that transition also. Don't live your experience through that of others. For sure, if what I say encourages you or what other people say encourages you, that's great. It's wonderful. But this thing which we're called to, this complete salvation of which the book of Hebrews speaks, is not a vicarious process. It's for you all, individually. It will mean something different to each of us, just like all of our human relationships are unique. 
God says, I want to know you uniquely. Don't worry. It won't be a problem for me. I'm not too busy, he says. That had immediate consequences in my life, most particularly in my relationship with my natural father. But much of my former ambition and self-governing instinct remained. You see, I am by nature a determined man. But that, like everything else, has to be submitted to God. Just as Jesus gave himself completely, the request of God upon us all is to give ourselves to him completely. But that's what he says. It's not my idea. In the early part of 1979, however, I found myself amongst, amongst, a, Christ, amongst a bunch of Christians who worshipped God like it was their last opportunity on earth. Maybe you felt that a bit when you've come here. You found our worship so urgent and so powerful and so, you think, well, I'm not accustomed to this. It's all, a bit, it's all a bit wild for my liking. These people were so vigorous and there were so many of them crammed into such a small chapel the trumpeter had to point his trumpet upwards to avoid destroying the eardrums of those around about him. It was quite something. Now, up to that point, for me, a Bible study was where you gathered together in somebody's house and you opined about your interpretation of the verses. And the, the notion of it changing your life was absent. It was an occasion to impress your views upon other people. It was all frightfully intellectual indulgence. To these people who I'm just talking about, some 250 crammed into a, a building designed for about half that number, they took between one and two hours to look at one or two verses of the book of Ephesians. And I was wrapped. It says of Jesus, he spoke with authority, unlike their teachers. Hardly likely when he was the author of it, is it? Hardly improbable. And on that occasion, I heard the word of God expounded with authority. The person speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't look at my watch. I was just enthralled. This is what the Bible is about. This is Jesus in print. This is considering all that he is about. I remember it vividly, even though it was, well, however many years ago it was. Can't do the arithmetic. 34, 34 years ago. Wow. God, however, has a habit of allowing us to spectate for only so long. And so it was with me. There came an occasion when I was there for one of these Bible studies, and uh, the person leading the meeting, he's no longer alive. He said, there's a young man here who's a student. I thought, that's not unique. Can continue breathing. Who's involved in the railway industry? Oh, that's narrowed it a bit. <laughs> I thought, no, I'm, in the, I'm a victim of a cult. And they've briefed him and trapped me, so now I can't get out. And I was frightened. But then he went on to say, God has called you here. Because he has seen the anxiety of your heart, the fact that he knows that you love him, but you're not imbued with the power that you should have. And he's brought you here so that you will hear what he wishes to do with your life. Now, I'd kind of got that far talking to people there, so I was still a bit anxious. But then the individual went on. I didn't know him. At all. Not spoken to him. He said, God has called you to lay down your life. To give him your ambition and your aspirations and everything you are or all you ever might aspire to be. To give it to him. 
and let him be the governing force. He wants your life in its entirety because he gave his own for you in the same measure. I was in that situation where my heart had slowed down and was trying to compensate by pumping an ever greater volume with each stroke and it had reached the limit. I thought if he doesn't stop soon I will die. But he did stop. And I realised in that moment God had laid a claim on my life. He didn't just want me to accept intellectually this gospel event. He didn't just want me to make an arbitrary decision that I would become a Christian and so do my best to live in the way that 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 system of belief requires. He wanted to own me. And he wanted me to be so integrated with him. He wanted my life in its entirety. And then I realised that the God of all eternity who sent his son in human form to die and endure as we've heard, so that I and all of you might share in this, had a purpose for me. That that purpose has not been fully fathomed yet. But I don't intend to find myself before God someday and having to explain why I have not granted him the opportunity to reveal those things in my life. I have commended to every one of you the book of Hebrews. It won't take you long to read. But as I've already said, it'll take the rest of your life to grasp its significance. For those of you who've not made that vital acquaintance, my appeal to you is to make it now. Not later, not tomorrow, make it now. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the meeting, I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. I want you, in following my encouragement, to consider Jesus. I want you to give your heart fully as he gave his life fully for you. I can't put it in any simpler terms than that. Why? Because that's what he bids us do. And no man, woman or child who's ever taken that step has found the process wanting. Now for those of you who've made that acquaintance, so you understand what I'm talking about, but you've become compromised... The circumstances of your life have become overwhelming or the distractions within you or you're nurturing things in your life which you know you really shouldn't. I'd like you too to consider him who endured all of that for you. He'd have done it for you if you were the only candidate. If I lay down my life for you and you live and I die, I think you will feel a certain What shall we say? Indebtedness? That is what Jesus has done. And he hasn't done it so that you can live in a half-hearted situation. He hasn't done it so that you you can flick the Christian switch when you want to. He has plan and purpose for you. He has fulfilment for you. It's not some slave master thing. There is no satisfaction in the human heart that can compare with the fulfilment of discovering God's will and doing it. That will be something different and unique for all of us. That is the exciting thing. There is no stereotype here. God says, I want to love you individually and I want to lead you individually. So for you, if you're in that category, I want you to yield all of that to him. He wants you to yield all of that to him. And he'll lead you to a better place if you choose to follow. Now, if anything in this message has stirred your heart. Please, 
share it with someone. Don't have to be me. Ideally, let one of us pray with you before you leave, and we'll just seal that intention, seal that commitment. The world is a brutal place, but God has offered a sanctuary in our acquaintance with Him. So we can be in the world, but be protected from the evil within it. I'm going to come to a close in just a moment. But if Andrew in Idaho falls, if you listen to this message, I want you to know that you have a place in my heart and I pray for you each day. Let's wrap all this up in prayer. Father, we are the most privileged of people. For you have chosen to grant us full and complete salvation. We have considered him who endured such opposition. And we are humbled. Let this be vital in our hearts, not just here, but tomorrow and the day after. Gather up these things we call our lives and make them purposeful for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.